0: Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke chapter number eleven. Luke chapter number eleven. Joanne Shelter, a weekly Bible translator in the mountainous region of the island of Luzon in the Philippines, noticed that the new believers in the tribe with which she was working did not know how to pray, when to pray. Or why to pray. So while on furlough at home, she asked her home church and her supporters to pray for a breakthrough among the believers with whom she worked, no matter the cost. Soon thereafter, returning from her stateside trip, the aircraft she was traveling on, which was carrying supplies for building a new hospital, crashed. And she was in danger of dying. That event prompted the people to pray very fervently. Lord, don't let her die. She hasn't yet translated your book. That was the breakthrough that she had prayed for. The Bangalore people learned what it meant to pray without ceasing. And how to ask God and trust God for everything. From then on the people prayed not having heard their story do you dare to join the unnamed disciple in Luke chapter 11 in his request Lord teach us to pray it could be dangerous because if we ask the Lord to teach us to pray it may be that he will put us in a situation in which we are so overwhelmed that we recognize that we have no choice but to pray. So if you're willing, if you dare, you can with fear and trembling say, Lord, teach us to pray. It was after watching Jesus pray that this unnamed disciple was prompted to request instruction In prayer. If the Lord Jesus prayed often, what does that say about our desperate need for prayer? Jesus modeled for us a life of total dependence. Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, or more accurately, the model prayer, in response to this disciple's request found in verse number one Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples seem to have waited a long time to ask the Lord to teach them to pray. After all, they have been with him for months, perhaps even years by this point. They have watched him pray in almost every circumstance of life. They have seen him taking time to be alone to pray. They understand that Jesus lived a life that was guided and empowered by prayer. Perhaps as they watched him pray it has caused them to realize how much, how very little they understood and knew about prayer. Whatever the cause, the disciples turned to Jesus and asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse number 1. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray Obviously, the Lord's prayer was not given just to be recited as a ritual. It is actually given to us as the Lord's blueprint for prayer that is acceptable to God. There's something tremendously important about the way Jesus answered the disciples' question. Jesus' replies is recorded there when Luke says, "...and when you pray." And in the parallel account in Matthew, it says, and in this manner, pray. In other words, pray like this. The Lord's Prayer was given to show the disciples how to pray. After all, that's what they ask. That is how they should go about praying. Not just the words that they should use. And so we should recognize that there is a difference between saying the Lord's Prayer and praying the lord's prayer the first thing i want us to look at it's a matter of finding our father's purpose we begin our examination of the lord's prayer by looking at the first four english words our father and heaven jesus is in state is stating the importance of starting our prayers with an awareness that god is our father that may not seem that revolutionary to you and I because we're used to hearing it, but the word that Jesus used for Father was not a formal word. It was the common Aramaic word with which a child would address his father—the word "Abba." It was a common word, but of course, and of course, everyone used that word, but. No one under any circumstances ever used it in relation to God. Abba meant something like daddy, but with a more reverent touch. It meant something like dearest father. When Jesus came on the scene, he addressed God only as his father. All of his prayers to God are addressed to father, with one exception, and that one exception is the prayer that he prayed from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The gospel record him using the use of Father more than 60 times in reference to God. No one in the entire history of Israel had ever prayed like Jesus. Jesus transformed the relationship with God from one of a distant, unapproachable deity to that of an intimate relationship of a father. The fact that God is our dearest father is to be the foundational awareness in prayer. Wrapped up in the expression, Our Father is a new dimension in the intimate relationship and communion with God. The concept of a loving heavenly father provides us with a profound sense of being loved. Everett Fulham, a missionary to a remote tribe in Nigeria, recorded what this experience and this understanding gave to one of the natives there, and he revealed this awesomeness of this new experience when he said, behind this universe stands one God, not a great number of warring spirits as we have always believed but one god and that god loves me it is of course important to remember in our prayers that our father is based upon a intimate relationship with god that of a father and child there are within this several things that we need to look at first of all is concern for our Father's reputation. First of all, hallowed be thy name. When you pray, hallowed be thy name, you climb to a new level of respect for God and reverence for his person. You are rising to the very heart of God to recognize who he is and what he has done for us. When Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name, He was telling us to make the presence of God real in our hearts. When you pray, hallowed be thy name, you're placing God on the throne of your heart. You are putting God on the throne on earth, even as he sits on the throne in heaven. But how do we hallow his name? Well, we hallow his name with our lips, both privately and publicly, by the things that we say. And also by our actions, by those things that we do. To pray that his name is hallowed means that first and foremost, we desire our lives to reveal to others the name of Jesus and the character of God. But not only a concern for the Father's reputation, but a concern for the Father's rule. Your kingdom come. Well, what did Jesus mean when he taught us to pray for the kingdom to come? If we truly desire God's rule over all men and women in the future, then it follows that we desire that we will want to work out his will in our lives now. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are acknowledging God's right to rule all people, including us. We dare not pray for his rule over others unless we are honestly desiring his rule over us. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever to pray your kingdom come unless we fully intend to cooperate in the establishment of his rule in our own lives. Obviously, the more fully we commit ourselves to God's reign in our own lives, the more effectively God's will will be able to be used in using us to establish his kingdom on this earth. Not only a concern for the Father's rule, but a concern for the Father's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is unfortunately true that untoned millions of individuals have repeated the words your will be done down through the centuries without the faintest notion of what God's will is. Perhaps even more alarming is that even more people have repeated those words without any intention whatever of seeing to it that God's will is done. When you ask your will be done, you must be willing to do it now. Notice we are not asking God to change his will. We're not asking God to bless our will. We're asking, us, asking him to help us find and do his will in our lives. But it is not enough to just know the will of God. One must then apply it. Your will be done. Is in reality a prayer of Submission. According to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it is our privilege to submit to that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The truth is that the cause of much of the unrest and frustration and unhappiness and sense of powerlessness in the life of Christians can be traced to trying to follow our own self-will. At the back of all our failure is the desire to have it my way, not his way. It is the basis that we find when people say no to God. In the last half of the prayer, we turn from praying about finding God's purpose to praying for our needs. One of the profound realities of the Christian life is the realization that God cares He cares about the simple day-to-day needs of our lives. He cares whether we are warm. He cares whether we are fed. He cares whether we are well. He is concerned about our whole well-being, including those things that sustain life. So secondly, we look at the family's needs. Verses 3 and 4. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So first of all, there is a need for daily provision. Give us, day by day, our daily bread. What does that request mean? We miss its importance in our world, in our society, for the simple reason that when you woke up this morning... None of you even had the slightest doubt that you were going to be able to eat today, did you? Most of the major concerns for the average American is not what we will eat, is what we will eat, not whether we will eat. We are told to pray, give us day by day our daily bread to remind us of our absolute dependence on God for everything. God made us with needs so that we would look to him to fulfill those needs. In our prayer, daily bread stands for more than just food. It stands for all the physical things that we need for life. To pray this prayer for our daily bread, it expresses our conviction and belief that God is able to answer our prayer and to meet our needs. It is not that we are praying to overcome God's unwillingness or overcome his reluctance, seeking to bend his will to ours, but it is rather the taking hold of God's willingness to give and provide for us. In the spiritual realm, it is also true that yesterday's strength is absolutely useless to fight today's battles. Sometimes we as Christians rely on our experience of God in the past. Of course they were good. But we need a fresh touch of God every day in our lives. God never gives us a reservoir of grace in our lives. But expects us to turn to him every day for the grace that is sufficient for the challenges of that day. Of course, the ultimate expression, fulfillment of that bread is Jesus Christ. The only bread that will satisfy completely and forever is the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. John told us in John chapter 6 and verse 51 that Jesus said, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven... If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Not only a a need for daily provision, but a need for daily pardon. Forgive us our sins. Like the prayer that's recorded in Matthew, the prayer recorded here makes a connection between the forgiveness we receive... And the forgiveness that we give. This position is not only a explicit prayer for forgiveness, forgive us our sins. But it is also an expression of a prayer for a forgiving spirit. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And although on the surface the connection here seems almost to be a condition, if I forgive then I am forgiven. It is in reality a statement. There is a warning here for those who claim to be Christians but who will not forgive and have no desire to do so. In our model prayer, after we have asked the Father for our provision, we ask now for our pardon. Forgive follows give. Look back at the beginning of verse 4 and I want you to underline the word and because it links the request of our daily bread with our request for daily forgiveness. In the way in which we look at that, we come to understand the connection. Most of us have no difficulty understanding that we need food on a daily basis. But here's a reminder that we also need forgiveness on a daily basis. If we are sincere when we pray forgive us our sins, then we are openly admitting ourselves as guilty of sin. Many falsely presume that because when we are saved, we have no need to ask for forgiveness or confession of sin. That's not true. First John 1, 8 and 9 tell us, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christians can and do still sin and therefore stand in need of daily confession and forgiveness. Now, as believers in Christ, we have the assurance that his blood has once for all cleansed us from every sin, according to Hebrews chapter 10. And yet we need daily to apply that blood to our hearts so that we can come before God with a clear conscience. It is not a matter of my eternal standing with God. It is a matter of my present relationship with God. It does not deal with our standing before God, which cannot be changed once it is established at salvation. It concerns the sins of the children of God which hamper our fellowship with the Father. No non Christian ever receives forgiveness from God on the basis of claiming that they have forgiven someone else. True believers are forgiven and forgiving. That does not mean that forgiveness ever comes easily or naturally. Even to real Christians, it's always a battle to maintain a forgiving spirit. But the struggle to forgive is in itself evidence of our God's grace in our hearts. Because otherwise, individuals would become bitter. And finally, there's a prayer for daily protection. And lead us not into temptation. In the preceding petition, forgive our sins, the request was that sins already committed might be forgiven. But here is a plea to be delivered from falling into future sins, new sins. The petition in this prayer is primarily for protection. By teaching us to pray to God, not to lead us into temptation, he is not suggesting that God tempts anyone. Because James tells us God does not tempt anyone. Rather, it accepts the danger of temptation. It acknowledges our deficiency in dealing with it and it asks for deliverance from it. If we are to win in the battle against temptation, we must realize the reality of spiritual warfare. We cannot be victorious over that which we do not understand. Being ignorant of the fact that there is a great spiritual battle going on in this world does not erase the fact that it is true. We need to acknowledge our inability to handle temptation on our own. We need to remember, everyone is vulnerable to temptation. Maybe not the same one, but they are vulnerable. No one, no one is above falling. No matter how old we are or how mature in the faith we are, we can still fall. And although the strength of certain temptations may lessen or diminish with age, we are never free from temptation as long as we live in this world. When we pray for God's protection from temptation, we are agreeing with the true Lord's Prayer found in John chapter 17. Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. The second part of the prayer of God's protection, as it's found here, deliver us from the evil one. The King James translates this as deliver us from evil. But the New King James, the New International Version, New English Bible, all translate it deliver us from the evil one, referring to Satan, of course. When you use the phrase deliver us from the evil one, you are admitting that this life is a struggle and that we have an enemy who opposes us. Because we do not know the dangers that we will face each day, we need God's protection to cover us. When you pray, deliver us from the evil one, you're turning your protection over to God. And although Satan may be the ruler of this present world, and though he may be the prince of the power of the air, and though he may have many cohorts, of evil spirits at his command, he has no claim over the children of God. Nor does he have any power to tempt them except what the Father allows. Let me close our message today about prayer by tying it again back to this International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. During the time of the Iranian hostage crisis, Greg Livingston was asked to give a mission minute in a large evangelical church on the East Coast. Since he had only one minute to speak, he decided to ask them only two questions. The first question was, how many of you are praying for the 52 American hostages who are being held in Iran? 4,000 hands went up. He said, then praise the Lord. Now put your hand down and let me ask you another question. How many of you are praying for the 42 million Iranians who are being held hostage by Islam? Four hands went up. He said, What are you guys? Americans first, Christians second. I thought this was a Bible believing church. As we pray for our daily needs, let's not forget our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. But neither let us forget the 1.8 billion Muslims in the world that are being duped by a false religion and leading them on a pathway to hell. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, many of whom... Have withstood persecution that we would be difficult for us to even comprehend. Lord, we pray for strength for them. We pray that you would make your presence known to them. And we pray that you would wrap your arms around them. We also pray for their persecutors, many of whom, like the Apostle Paul, thought. They were doing the right thing, thought they were serving a religious purpose. And in fact, they are working against your kingdom. In fact, they're being duped by a false religion that offers them no hope. Father, we pray for them. We know that many throughout the world are beginning to see Jesus for who he is. And we pray that you would open their eyes, give them an opportunity to see and understand the truth. We ask Lord for those who are gathered here this morning, whatever purpose you may have in their lives and hearts this morning might be achieved. Some have come hurt hurting physically and they need to touch from you. Some come today hurting with things that the person sitting beside them do not have any clue about, but you do. And so Lord we ask that you'd meet those needs. And if there's even one here, Lord, that doesn't know you in a personal and intimate way, that they can't truly pray our Father, and I pray that you'd help them to understand that they are a sinner, just like all the rest of us here, that can't save themselves, but that you've already done everything on the cross of Calvary for their salvation. All they need to do is accept it, repent of their sins, turn to you and ask that you would save them. We'd ask that prayer in Jesus' name, amen.